Hi, this is Dimitrios, the founder of the Music Medicine, the Academy of Human Development and Self-Healing through Music and Performing Arts. You are listening to the Music Medicine Podcast, where we bring you the learning experiences, teachings and practices by global community of musicians, teachers, music healers, scientists and expertise on the field to discuss about the tools that can cultivate harmony, balance and joy in all aspects of life. I'm Dimitrios, this is the Music Medicine Podcast, and on the other side, I have Yaakov Darling Khan, shaman, author, and movement medicine facilitator. He is author of the best-selling Jaguar in the Body, Butterfly in the Heart, the real-life initiation of an everyday shaman. At a young age, he was being struck by a lightning on a golf course that proved to be the awakening, which was to change the course of his life forever. He has three decades of study and practice with spiritual teachers and elder shamans from the Sami European tradition, Ashuar and Sapara peoples from the Amazon. He has been apprentice of Gabriel Roth, founder of the Five Rhythms for 18 years. He has been traveling the world to work with groups delivering movement medicine with his wife, Susanna, with whom he is co-director of the School of Movement Medicine and co-author of Hay House's published Movement Medicine. His forthcoming book, Shaman Opening the Door Between the Worlds is out in October 2019, and he has a message to deliver. Shamanism and a shift from society's focus on acquisition to reciprocity is the key to restoring our universal connection and solving our interpersonal and world issues in the process. Yaakov, welcome to the Music Medicine Podcast. Thank you so much, and what a pleasure to be here with you. And, uh to make a connection from the southwest of England to the center of Istanbul. Isn't technology amazing? And hello to all of um, the people who are here to listen and um, good to meet you in this way. Pleasure to meet you as well. And uh, before we start, I have to say, I have your book here. It uh -huh. came to me through a very dear friend that, uh, for her own reasons, apparently, she made this connection happen. So I'm very grateful to her as well yes. for making this connection happen. And I want to start with a question because I'm wondering, and I'm pretty sure everybody that is listening is wondering, why darling? <laughs> <laughs> Great question. <laughs> I'll tell you straight away. Um, my wife, uh, Susanna, we've been together for 32 years. Um, her maiden name before she was married was Darlington, which is an English name. It actually comes from the Vikings. And uh, my name was Khan. And for, before we got married, for many weeks, we were thinking, we need a new surname. We need something which embraces us both. And we thought, what do we say? Mr. and Mrs. Dance a lot. Mr. and Mrs breathe a lot and then we, <laughs> we um we we just came up with this idea we just put the names together and take the tongue which is a heavy weight we put that down then we become darling khan so the darling is my wife and i'm the khan but she's been teaching me how to be more of a darling and i've been teaching her how to be more of a khan so we're a, a good team <laughs> that's wonderful that's a beautiful story so what is the khan as well. The Khan comes from my ancestral lineage. I am 
apparently 92.6% Ashkenazi Jewish in my DNA. Ashkenazi is the Eastern European line of the Jewish people. And um, Khan was the name of my father and his father and his father. It's an unusual name, Jewish name. It's more usually um, Muslim or can be from Mongolia, somewhere like that. But uh, interestingly, when I was a child, there was the time of the Vietnam War and my father was traveling in America. And because he had the name Khan, he wasn't able to make a reservation in a hotel, which is crazy. I mean, horribly, horrible situation. From that, he came home and said, we have to change the spelling of our name. We have to make it more English. So um, he made it Khan, C-A-R-N-E. And I was seven years old and I was like, this is horrible. And <laughs> but I, hadn't, I couldn't do anything about it until the day I left home when I was 17. The first thing I did was go to the lawyer and change my name back to K-H-A-N. Um, because it feels like... Um, it belongs to my people and it oh. gives me a feeling of strength in my backbone, oh. like our ancestors do oh. when we remember them. Heritage is a beautiful thing to have, actually. Yes. Yeah, and very important. I, I was reading your book, uh, Jaguar in the Body, Butterfly in the Heart, and to be honest, I found so many similarities about my own personal process uh, mm. in life in many different aspects, mm. uh, being too high too much on the spiritual realm and forgetting about the third dimension responsibilities um, and uh, some of your processes also. And uh, also uh, this, um, there is a part on your book that you talk about uh, your process with your heritage, actually. Mm. Yeah. And, uh, and, it's, and it's really interesting. I, um, maybe you would like to say a little bit uh, about this as a, as a, as a, human being but also as a shaman as a person that is between worlds and understanding communicating yeah absolutely i mean i think um maybe to begin that shamanism for me it's um it's not a religion it doesn't belong to one place shamanism has become a generic word for universal human practices of being able to connect directly to a greater power um, through rhythm, through dance, through trance. And um, so that, that tradition that's been with human beings from the very beginning and in Europe certainly was, um, well, let's say it's had a hard time for the last thousand years. Um, um, as we, as Christianity became more strong and then as our more industrial world grew stronger, um, these two lines moved shamanism out onto the fringes of the culture um, so that it seems like shamanism is strange, it's weird, it's about weird experiences. But for me, I grew up in a Jewish culture. When I was seven, I wanted to be a rabbi because that was the, that was the, the only symbol in my family background that made sense to me. Um, because I was really into God. I don't mean as a religion. I just mean um, the vast mystery of this universe, which was my refuge every night in my dreams. So as I grew up um, and I went through 
<clears throat> my family process through the Jewish process. I was bar mitzvah, which is the, the Jewish initiation for a young man. Um, at 13, I loved being in the synagogue, but slowly I, as I grew up, I, I started to feel confined by my, um, by my, let's say my, my tradition. I started to feel a bit like a glass ceiling. It's not true that the glass ceiling belonged to my tradition. It was more the family and the family dynamic. And I needed to find something which made more sense of my experiences. And when I discovered shamanism, that there was such a thing, I was so relieved because it was the first time really in my life where I felt that I was connected to other human beings. It's like, oh, <laughs> I'm not just this strange, weird human being who has this kind of experience. I'm having an archetypal experience that belongs to humanity, whatever your religion. And um, so I was very relieved and I found many good teachers, again, not religions, just teachers of practice. And um, the older I've got, the more I've been able to embrace my own Judaism. Excuse me. <clears throat> and what I, what I mean by that, I don't mean so much that I practice Judaism, but I'm proud of my people. I'm proud of the, the good things of my people. And I, I identify and I feel bad about the difficult things that my people are involved in, the whole process of the Middle East where I work the very difficult and complex situation that's rooted in generations of trauma. Um, so one time when I was in very young, uh, a very wise Jewish man told me that one day you will realize why you were born Jewish. And I do believe that it's because um, of my heritage, my Jewish heritage, that I'm able to do the kind of work I do in the Middle East with Israelis and Palestinians. Because I, I grew up in England, so not in Israel. So I'm not Israeli. Um, so I'm able to speak to my Israeli Jewish um, family and to challenge behavior or stories and to celebrate other things. And with my Palestinian brothers and sisters, uh, there's an acceptance. Um, because they know me as a as a brother, not wanting to make connections with real people rather than with labels. So, wow, it's a deep question and uh, a very, I realize it's like a thread, of course, that's just woven through pretty much every area of my life. It's been interesting for me to really come to celebrate my own Jewish heritage, not so much the dogma of the religion, but just the beauty, the song, the dance, the, the family, the, the warmth, the humor, the, the good food. They're just so many good things, um, which also we share with our Arab brothers and sisters, because in fact, we are one family. <laughs> That's very true. And what, what I've seen, uh, according to my experience in all religions and all dogmas or um, even shamanism which is not considered a religion but they are 
fundamental, basic, I would say, components that are always there. One mm -hmm. is music. The other one mm -hmm. is dance. The other one is celebration. The other one is gathering of not many people, but few, but good enough to create the ambience and to mm -hmm. celebrate together and to elevate together or whatever the reason is. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's so beautiful. That's so beautiful that indeed I believe um, it all comes from, from the same need uh, of, of people to, to come together, to connect, to transcend, to connect with, with themselves, mm -hmm. with each other, with the divine, with the nature, however we want to call it, God, however we want to call it, through celebration. Mm. And this, uh, I believe it's a fundamental part of shamanism. I, I would even go further. I would say even more so. I, I, I think what you're saying is beautiful. Um, the need to be with mirrors, with other people who are... Um, asking similar questions, who are um, struggling with similar challenges, and to be able to uh, work together to see a bigger picture, to be able to look down on, on our lives and see the road that we're traveling, just to lift our nose for a moment to go, ah, there's a big picture that my life is part of. And it's so, the place I want to go further is, not just in celebration, but really it's a place for the human heart, which also includes our grieving, um, our, our shadows, mm -hmm. our, our unowned parts that arise in conflict and um, in violence in the extreme, and just in um, othering each other. Oh, I'm different than you are, and that's dangerous. The, the, the whole the whole human heart um, has to be present in order for us to really experience the divine here on earth, which is my interest. But, you know, as, as we were saying at the beginning, we, you and I both had the tendency to leave this earth, to leave the body, to go to some beautiful, untouchable divine realm where our visions of life are pristine and safe but we don't have to risk bringing them down into the messiness of human relationship. And, you know, I was scared of people and I was scared of laying my dreams uh, um, under people's feet. Um, I think we all have a, a, a quite natural animal fear for that. So for me, shamanism, contemporary shamanism, has to be a space for the whole human heart how do we acknowledge our fears and not act from them, but let, let them be useful? So fear is like a, it's a warning apparatus that the, the animal that we are has that just says, wake up, pay attention, breathe, be still, just listen. And that's very useful and necessary. Anger is, it's, anger is only a problem when it's repressed or fully identified with, like where I, you know, I, I just allow myself to be fu furious with everyone and everything. Um, you know, it's, it's like your life, my problems are your fault. That's a shadow of anger. But anger in itself is about boundaries and clarity and holding a space 
and feeling safe enough to stand up in our own backbone. So these are, you know, our relationship to the, the what we might say, the, the less celebratory aspects of the human heart mm. are so important for us human beings because when we don't give space to them, then we, we create um, the result of all this held pain and suffering in the world around us, in conflict, in not taking care of nature, in not treating animals well. It just, our own pain is expressed in the way that we don't take care of the miracle of this life. So shamanism is, is all about balance, dynamic balance, how we stay in balance with ourselves, with each other, with our environment and the climate, with, with difference. And so it's um, celebration is the result for me of allowing ourselves to be real together, to risk, uh, you know, coming down here to be with each other, with what's happening, with, our, with all of our humanity. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> that's, so beautiful. that's so beautiful. I love that. And uh, so that, that takes me to the next question, which is uh, you already shared a little bit of how shamanism uh, can bring this balance actually, this balance between everything there is, because more, more than everything, I believe it's a practice of acceptance for everything that is, which is called life. Yeah. Uh, and so how, how shamanism uh, can help one to, to, to embody and to be an example of this balance and to work? And, uh, and how is your work as a shaman on the 21st century that we are, let's face it, we're living in a really different eras, like technology is, uh, is our creation, by the way. It's our mm -hmm. creation, but it's overtaking uh, a lot of space and a lot of our time. And, um, and there are all kind of different movements in the world, like overachievers, underachievers, victims, and people trying to find their identity in between all these messages bombarding us every day. So how it is to be a shaman in, in these interesting times that we're living? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you know, to be a shaman, it's called traditionally the blessed curse. So um, it's, it's both a real genuine blessing I feel deeply grateful that the process that I've had of accepting that role, you know, which took me 30 years, I wasn't just like, I woke up and went, oh yeah, I'm a shaman, great, let's get on with it. It was, it was really difficult. I wanted it, I didn't want it. I wanted to be special, I wanted to be recognized. I was a young man, I wanted to be successful. All the normal human things just, in the shaman's world. Um, and it took me a long time to do my own healing work because to be a shaman means to understand the wounds of one's own culture, the challenges that we are facing now in the culture that 
excuse me, they're not just personal, they are archetypal, they are, they're to do with, so in our culture, in our time, in the industrial world, in the time where industry and business and money and expansion have become the dominant story, like in order to be okay, we have to have more, we have to accumulate more and more and more and more, and the more we have, the, the more successful we are, the happier we're going to be, which of course we now know is not true. We know that um, there is no correlation between, if you have a roof over your head and clothes on your back and food in your belly and a little bit of loose change lying around, um, which of course um, still a billion people on this planet don't, um, that's a lot of people. It's less than it used to be, but it's still a lot of people. Um, if we have that, then there's no correlation with having more material wealth and, and being happier. In fact, um, if we look at it, our accumulation tends to lead to um, a certain kind of numbness, a certain kind of a loss of meaning, a loss of purpose a loss of connection, a, a loneliness of spirit. So I, I went through all of this within my own heart, within my own mind, within my own body. And for us, one of the things Gabrielle Roth always used to say to me and to all of us was shamanism is indigenous to its own culture. That doesn't mean that we can't learn from other cultures, of course we do, and I have. But in the end, we have to translate what we've learned into medicine for our own culture. And movement medicine is the way that my wife Susanna and I have done that. We've brought together the teachings we've received from indigenous people, from psychotherapy, from systems theory and neuroscience, and family constellations, so much, um, and all kinds of development with understanding of trauma. We brought that together into the, this creation that's called movement medicine. And it's all about, and you use the word embodied, it's all about coming back to consciousness being present in the physical body. And what's called interreception. Interreception is the basis of our work. Interreception means perception of what's going on inside in a physical way. So if I can tell you, I feel the warmth of the chair on my back. I feel a little soreness in my left knee. I feel warm tingling in my hands. So if I can describe to you the physical sensation of being here. The interesting thing is that I found this life-changing. The more I'm able to do that, the more empathic I am with you or with anyone. And the less I'm able to do that, the less I will actually accurately perceive you and who you are. So interoception, being present within our own bodies is the basis of our capacity 
to be in real relationship with anything outside of us, anything and anyone. So a lot of our work is bringing people back to, look, this body is, uh, it's a miracle and, and it's powerful and it's intelligent. And when you bring together the kinesthetic intelligence of your body, how it moves, when you just let go, when you're able, and I know for many of us humans, it's like, I don't want to dance. I feel so self-conscious. I'm like, oh, when I started to dance, I hated it. I was like, <laughs> I, you know, I felt so self-conscious and so self-critical as all these people doing their beautiful dances. And I felt like this little kind of creature in the corner, like unable to express himself. But Gabrielle, who was an extraordinary woman, took her about 20 minutes to shift my, help me to shift my attention from thinking about what's happening to allowing the expression of what's happening through the creativity of life in movement, which is the dance. I don't have to learn to dance. Um, I just have to let go of yes. self-consciousness and then let the rhythm, let the music, you were talking about music, rhythm, be, let that just move me wherever it takes me. It could be big, it could be little, it could be tears, it could be laughter. I was astonished to discover the thing I hated was self-consciousness. And self-consciousness, to get through that on a movement medicine dance floor, it's like 15 minutes of a little bit of suffering. <laughs> and, um, and then you, you're there because, you, because we, it's natural to us. It's inherited. It's, it's, an, it's our human inheritance to just let the body be moved by rhythm and see where that takes us. And, you know, if we really let that take us, then, and we really let the rhythm take us, the next thing we'll hit is the human heart. And what's in the heart right now could be joy, could be like, oh, finally I'm free, like for a minute. I don't have to think about, am I good enough? Am I doing this right? It's just freedom. Oh, hallelujah. <laughs> and, um, it could be, you know, that you find your tears. The, the grief of, of living in a time where we're doing so much damage to each other and to, to the environment, to the web of life that sustains us. And we have to, you use the word acceptance. And it's such an important word. That, and it's not so easy. Like I might mentally accept that I have grief about our condition as a species and what we've done to this planet. But to actually accept that to the degree that I let myself feel it, really feel and grieve, um, and not be worried about drowning in the ocean of my tears, but know that I will learn to swim and that those tears will strengthen me to act creatively. This is modern shamanism. It's recognizing where we are as a species, what our responsibility is, each of us individually. I can't tell anyone. I can't tell you, you can't tell me. Listen, Demetrios, you know, you should do this or this. It's like, you have to know. You have to, you have to put yourself 
in a place where you can listen. And then you can go, we can go to our elders and say, I, I, I think that this is my way. And our elders can say, yeah, well, that's good. And might help you to be aware of this or this or this. Um, so this is shamanism. It's how am I a human being um, dealing with the very real challenges of being alive in the 21st century and the very real opportunity, this miracle that we have, you, I, everyone, to create. What are we here to create? What, what do we want to give our life to? What really matters to us? That's, and, and so we need processes that help us to return to the place where we can hear that, we, where we can remember, oh yes, this is who I am. This is what matters to me. This is what my life is for. And then step by step, I dedicate myself to that. This is shamanism. And this is being a shaman in the 21st century because um, in a way I've described the territory of our modern wounds, um, the loneliness, the despair, the, the not feeling good enough, the feeling less than or better than, the, all of these shadows that we play out as human beings to become conscious of them and to be able to choose to, and this is one of my favorite phrases that Gabrielle Roth used to say. She used to say, you know, I always pray for you guys that the soul, your soul, will outdistance your ego. And, I, you know, she's saying, she was saying, I pray that you have more time being who you are than, um, think trying to find the right way to be or the best way to be or to please somebody or to impress somebody or all the different masks of the ego that we wear how can we give each other permission to be who we are and uplift each other in that way that's that's a key word permission yeah uh, for me and uh, freedom you 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 mentioned the word freedom yeah. and uh, more than anything i believe um, music art creativity shamanism practices related to that they give us permission to be to feel and yes. uh, and 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 this freedom is so precious i i find that uh, people have lost this freedom i've been uh, uh, myself as well, holding space for, for some years through my project in music medicine for people um, to listen, first of all, to listen. My main mm -hmm. component is music. And what I found in, in music is that the greatest teaching that music gave me all these years that I'm into music since I was born is uh, that I learned how to listen. And that's, that's I found it a wonderful practice. Uh, again, goes back to what you were saying. Uh, when we are able, how how can we able to to generate this compassion for one another, and and listening, as well as feeling the sensations of the body? They are all like similar practices that they can get us there actually to feel one another, 
and to hold space for one another. Um, but let's change subject because I'm pretty sure I'm very interested and everybody who's listening very interesting. Tell us about movement medicine. And now, I, I, before you tell us, actually, I want to say that this is a miracle because uh, here the music medicine interviewing the movement medicine, and I found it <laughs> so fascinating. <laughs> it makes me laugh. And I have to say a, a true story, which I, uh, I shared with you when we talked that uh, I, I literally bumped on you guys, you and your, and your wife, uh, one and a half year ago. I was at my mother's house in bed scrolling stuff on my on my cell phone and uh, i don't know how but you guys popped up and i was like who are these guys movement medicine and i'm like okay <laughs> let me check them out <laughs> and in this you know who are these guys like movement medicine and then i kind of checked your material out and and i was like impressed then i left it and then uh, our common friend like appeared again, uh, appeared in my life, and she was like, "You gotta check this guy. You gotta check movement medicine." I'm like, "Here they are again." Okay, <laughs> that's that's okay. I have to pay attention to that. So it's uh, I, I'll let you say what is what is your work about because it's fascinating and, and it's uh, for me personally, it's so much. Um, uh, it talks to my to my essence as as Dimitrios, because uh, according to my mother, I was born dancing. I was dancing. <laughs> I was dancing inside her belly when she was playing vinyls of BGS and ABBA, Michael Jackson, Earth, Wind and Fire. So also, I was I was born with groove. You had a good soundtrack to be born to. Wow. Yes, yes, yes. I've been very blessed. And my father was actually the first DJ compiler of the family. And he was the first one who was organizing parties all the time. He loved to surround himself with people and celebrating and everything. Anyway, that's a long story. But beautiful dance is my number one medicine by far. Music yeah. came after. Like, of course, dancing is a result of music. But music and, and being into music and listening and everything came after. So tell me about movement medicine. I'll do my best. Thank you, Simon. Lovely to hear about your family. I kind of I had a lovely image of your papa and the family gatherings. Uh, <laughs> yeah, beautiful, lovely. <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, so m movement medicine, you know, life, life is movement. You know, if we, if you look at, uh, Again, I'm quoting Gabrielle quite a lot today. It's interesting. She, she's around. Um, she was a great teacher, a really great teacher for, for many years. She, um, she used to say, look, the, if you look at it, it's, it's simple. You look at the difference between a dead body and a living body. What is it? It's movement. It's movement. One is moving, one isn't. So you can say life is movement. And... So when we dance, when we step onto a, a movement medicine dance floor, um, there are many different practices, but this is the one that, that we have created, which embraces um, the different aspects of healing and creativity that we have discovered in our own lives are necessary for a sense of meaning and purpose and satisfaction as human beings. Um, so 
movement is the, the ground. How do I step back into presence through my body, through the beat, through letting the body be moved? Um, come back to just now, like I'm here. Here I am. I'm with whatever's happening. It's so initially, it's all about through movement, becoming aware that we are here. I'm here. I'm not in a kind of crazy, just busy mind in the future, in the past, like in 12 places at once, blah, 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 blah. blah. I'm like, I've calmed down. I've connected with my parasympathetic nervous system that's a bit more calm and grounded and, and embodied and aware of the support of gravity. So gravity, feeling that support of the ground and then connecting, um, we call it the unbroken. The unbroken is, it's, it's the intelligence of life. It's the intelligence of life that, that beats the heart, that replaces the cells, that um, processes, that does all this, these extraordinary things without us having to think about it. Ah, there's my wife. <laughs> Popped in to uh, say hello. Welcome, say hello Susanna. Susanna. Which people is this? this Come is, say hello. This is my beautiful wife, hello, Susanna. Hello. Hey, nice to meet you. <laughs> Indeed. Oh, and are you the music medicine man? Yes. Yeah, okay. <laughs> nice to meet you. Perfect, Perfect timing. Perfect. <laughs> so um, together, we, <clears throat> we created this, this very simple process of helping us to connect to that unbroken intelligence of life as it is inside the physical body. So this material is earth. The movement that I'm now doing is solar powered. This movement is literally the transformed light of the sun through photosynthesis that is burning inside my trillion cells and is now being expressed as movement through me. Therefore, I am the fire moving. I am the earth. We know we are 65% water. We know that without breath, that's the end. So we work with these elements through the body to remember the earth of my body, the body of this earth, the fire that moves me, the sun in the sky, the, the, the illumination, the transformative power of fire to burn, to bring everything back to its original elements and release heat and light in the process. This is fire and we are fire. So step by step, we learn practices to remember the unbroken intelligence of life as it is through us. And through that unbroken strength or intelligence to then be able to hold and work with that which is broken inside us, the places where we have been wounded, where we've been disappointed, hurt, where we are carrying undigested trauma from our ancestors. 
Um, and these stories that come through us again and again, that we, as we mature, we start to realize, ah, these are our very specific, particular Zen koans for each one of us. Like, oh, we keep meeting the same, you know, I've been in three, four relationships and every time I'm in this relationship, I fall in love. I know this is the person for me forever. And then we start having arguments and then she turns into my mother. How did that happen? And, um, and, and then after a certain while, we kind of go, hold on a minute. Whoa, this happened to me three, four times. And I was the only person who was there each time. Ah, this has probably got something to do with me. It's got something to do with what I'm carrying, my expectation, the story that I'm telling about life. And we start to go, hmm, maybe I can use the resource of the unbroken to unwind these stories, to open them up, to grieve, to release what needs to be released, to make space for new ground, evolution, new connections. And movement medicine is very specific in that it's not just about our own individual unique ecstasy or relationship to ourselves, me and God and my ecstasy and my freedom and my liberty and my heart and my feelings. And it's, it's also about relationship. How do I come into relationship with you and be myself and invite you to be yourself who's inviting me to be myself how do we do that how do we learn to communicate through movement mm. um, how do we get to recognize our place in the community in the web of life are uh, each one of us is uh, as you know completely unique utterly entirely unique each one of us has a particular song to sing, a particular dance to dance, a particular offering. How do I find my offering back to life? What's, what do I love to, to give? That's my offering. Whether it's just standing at a bus stop, having a friendly conversation with a stranger, or whether it's running a big mission to, to transform our consciousness. It doesn't matter. What's important, it's yours. Lynn Twist, who um, created, was one of the founding members of the Pachamama Alliance. She says, you don't have a big role to play. You don't have a small role to play. You just have your role. And if you discover your role, your life will have a meaning and a purpose that you have dreamt of. So through movement medicine practice, we empty out enough to come back to what you were saying, to be able to listen. Who am I? What matters to me? What's my medicine? What's my offering? What am I here for? What do I want to dedicate my life to? What, what do I care about? And how can I put that in the driving seat of my life? So it's a process 
that happens through the dance. First of all, becoming present, then embracing what's here, learning to work with our material creatively to make the most of our lives. So that's in a, a shorter time, as I could tell you, yeah. the essence of movement medicine practice. <laughs> It all sounds very beautiful and uh, I can definitely say very much needed in today's world. It's unbelievable, Yaakov, how many people I meet that they don't have a sense of purpose and they're looking and they're looking here, they're looking there, uh, they're trying to find through different experiences and how many people they are enslaved into the way uh, life has been... Um, or actually the story of what life is has been sold to us. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, and to be honest, I've been having this conversation before with, with another guest. Everything is perfect as it is. Mm -hmm. But I think the, the, the main ingredient that uh, you are doing uh, with your work, with your wife, and, uh, and I'm doing also, we are questioning that. Is it? How can we make it better? It's evolution. It's like life has to evolve. So yes, of course, I mean, this is extraordinary that we are here at all is an utter miracle. And you know, in the middle of this vast universe that we're here in a body to experience this life is an extraordinary miracle. And there is a perfection about life. Um, and yes, of course, life needs to evolve. And I believe we are, life and this universe is in an evolutionary process that, that is getting to know itself through each one of us. Mm. And so for some of us, the most important thing would be to sit still in a cave for 40 years and be in silence. And that would be our absolute best offering to life the way that we, I have to be. For some of us, we have to run around the world inviting people to dance or listen to music <laughs> and, um, to, to engage in that way because it's who we are. Yeah. And um, that's the important thing is, you know, you've used the word freedom and you use, you've used the word enslaved. And I, I noticed this connection. It made me think of... Um, an extraordinary woman who was one of the twins in um, a, a concentration camp in the Second World War that um, was experimented on. Had a, she had every reason, this woman, to feel sorry for herself. Having survived, she had every reason to collapse under the weight of the horror of her experience but something in her wouldn't let her. And even in her later life, in her 80s, she realized she needed to go back to that concentration camp. And that in order to do that, she needed to face some of what she was carrying. And she became a therapist in her 80s. She studied and through her own healing of very profound trauma, she became a therapist. And I heard her speaking, I wish I could remember her name, but I don't right now. She wrote a book. Um, one of the things she said, 
she said, you know, we all have to remember that whatever has happened to us, and she, more than most people, has had every right to say this, whatever has happened to us, we always have the key to our own freedom in our own pockets. It's there. It's in our pocket. It always has been. And we have to choose to take that key out. Nobody can do that. Nobody can tell us to. Um, and nobody can save us. Sure, we can help each other. And let's, as much as we can. But we have to take that key and put it in the lock of the, the cage of our own enslavement to stories that really, um, they're not real anymore. We outgrow them. We outgrow, we, we evolve through um, limitations. And to find that key and unlock the door and let ourselves out. I, I used to, I, I'm sure many people do. I used to be waiting in my little cage for somebody to come and get me out and make it safe for me to come out into the world and open the door and tell me, I'm okay, you're okay, it's all right, come out. That's beautiful. And we, we do encourage each other in that way. It's like the sun growing on a, shining on a small plant. But in the end, I realized that it's up to me to re reveal myself to life and say to life, this is who I am, <laughs> for, for better or for worse. This is who I am right now. And I'm doing, and to, to be that in my work, in my relationship, in, in the way I shop, in the way I make decisions about what I buy, which support my views or don't. Um, all of these choices we have as human beings uh, are about whether we allow ourselves and have enough safety and support because it's both. I want to really give honor to the ways in which people have helped me to step out. And I had to, to take those last steps myself. Somebody can be on the other side going, hey, Yakov, we're over here. Come and join us but I had to open the door and step out. So I'm grateful for all those invitations and the warmth and the generosity that I, I've been given. And in the end, I had to go. And I still have to, you know, because it's not like, okay, I revealed myself now. No, every day is a new day. It's a new revelation. <laughs> Work never stops and exposure never stops. Absolutely. Uh, it's very interesting, and I will go to the next question after I say this. Yesterday, I uh, had a meeting with my team, with the music medicine team, and uh, I had a revelation. And I said, guys, uh, we uh, very soon want to be back on doing live performances. We started since last year, and we tried to figure out the best ways to do it because generally, uh, we never know what kind of music we're going to play. Mm -hmm. Most of the times, we don't. And uh, this... Uh, Besides courage, which is the last thing I would say, but it needs a great amount of feeling safe to expose yourself because you never really know what's going to happen. Rather, you allow 
as I call it, the spirit of music to come and take over and to express itself however it wants. But trusting the fact that it will take you uh, on a desirable place, which you don't know, but at least you know its peaks, its highs and its lows, Mm. uh, that is uncomfortable within a zone of comfort, I call it. It's it's very paradox. Uh, And... uh, It's, I don't know why I was listening. I, I, while I was listening, I, I, I remembered of, uh, of this moment that I had yesterday that I, 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 said to my, I said to my team, guys, that would be a revolution in a way of a performance to not know what you're going to do, not also not knowing, but inviting people to be part of this. And you discover together, trusting the fact that it will go somewhere because you know that it will go because you have tried over and over and over and it proves itself. And yes. I, guess that, I guess that's a great teaching about life also. And, yes. Uh, You're talking about listening in a way <laughs> and then making audible to others the music that's present now, mm. um, which I really, uh, beautiful. I, I look forward to hearing some of the results of that if you ever <laughs> when yes, no not if you ever when very soon when very, you soon. Do. very soon okay. but where i wanted to go actually because the whole conversation we had on the last question uh, also what i mentioned it uh, it brought me back to your book jaguar in the body butterfly in the heart there is a very big part of you of your experiences of your uh, initiation, 30-year initiation, as you say it, of becoming who you are today. Mm. And uh, tell us a little bit about your book, because uh, I can say from my own experience that, um, as I said before, I, I, I read myself uh, on, <laughs> on, on your pages, and also ever since it came, uh, since you are involved with uh, the movement medicine and, and you use drums, also, which I will go later to that. So these two beauties came in, into my life and more and more start coming ever since I started reading your book. <laughs> so there's a certain magic into your experiences. So I would like us to share about your experiences and the magic behind. Well, it's, it's you know, um, this book was, um, it was a weight I was carrying around for a while. Um, because it was, it wouldn't leave me alone and I knew I had to write it. Um, but I could, I wasn't, it took me quite a while to understand what I had to write and why. So it was like a, um, a song I could hear, but I couldn't hear the words. And it was like a pushing me, come on. So, um, I, the first attempt I had, I spent a month, um, on retreat and I wrote three chapters I sent it to uh, my publisher, the publisher of our first book. She wrote back to me. She said, well, Yakov, that was very cathartic. Um, I'm sure you had a very cathartic month. But if you, if, you want to, if you want to touch people and to reach people who don't know you, then you need to let the story um, speak for itself. You need to let the magic of the stories just be a channel for them. And interestingly enough, my wife had been saying exactly the same thing to me. So she laughed at me when my publishers, publisher said the same thing. <laughs> and I was like, okay, all right, okay. 
I surrender. And I started to write. And the way I write is I drum. I sit um, in front of my desk. I pick up my drum and I drum for half an hour. And I pray. And I ask to become a channel for the spirit of this book. Um, what is this medicine that wants to be shared? And I also, I was very clear that very often with these kind of books, you hear about all these extraordinary experiences that people are having. And aren't, wow, amazing experience, one amazing experience, another amazing experience. Wow, there's another amazing experience. But you don't get to hear about the integration or the difficulty or the challenges of making, like, what did you do with that experience? Mm. Like, okay, you had an extra, a wonderful vision. Now what? And, you know, and in our world, there's a lot of people into shamanism who are what we, be, what we call sh uh, vision junkies. They go from one vision to the next because, oh, yeah. you know, visions, they're perfect when they're up there. Mm -hmm. And as I said before, it's a risk to bring them to earth. So uh, I really wanted to share as honestly as I could um, my, my own challenges, the, the difficulties I went through, the, how, how ridiculous uh, in a way I was, how very human, how um, unconscious I was in so many ways and still am, no doubt. Ask my wife, she'll agree. Um, <laughs> Um, it, we, we never stop, but I, I just wanted to tell an honest story about a shamanic initiation. Also for my son's, our son's generation, I wanted to, I wanted them to see that the journey of life and of shamanism is not just about far out experiences. It's about what you do with them. It's about how you live them how you embody them, how you bring them into your relationship with, if you have a partner or with your family, with, with your work, with your awareness of the community of life. That's what shamanism is. Shamanism isn't about far out experiences. It's about the translation of those experiences into life in a meaningful way and becoming part of creation. So I tried to, through this book, to share um, really that blend of real, wild, ferocious, um, intentional hunger that's like the Jaguar energy, that's just fierce in intention to live, and but at the same time very um, at home in their own body and they're the kind of the the queen the king of their own environment that jaguar energy that's that's strong in that way and the very tender and light and powerful but in a very different way which is the transformation of caterpillar into butterfly and so this uh in a way, juxtaposition of the ferocity of the jaguar and the, the tender, um, vulnerable, um, colourful, light, momentary, transformative medicine of the butterfly, how these things work together. Um, 
and they they became a very strong symbol for me in terms of my own understanding of the relationship between power and vulnerability, which I think is so important for us human beings um, to be as powerful as we are, but in connection with our vulnerability so that we're guided. Um, our power is dedicated through our hearts to what matters to us um, because power itself is neutral. Um, but in our world, power has often been abused. Uh, but if we, if we say, well, okay, power is bad, then we just leave the power to the people who don't care if power is good or bad. So we, we have to own our own power. And, you know, it takes a while to learn to do that safely. It's why we need good mirrors, why we need teachers, why we need elders. And um, I just wanted to share this very honest human story of, the ways in which I had um, made mistakes, the ways in which I'd, um, yeah, been proud or been arrogant or misused my power or didn't trust my power, because I know that um, in order to really earn our power, earn the trust of our partners, our families, our world, our, our people, we have to go through it all. We have to go through our, our own healing journey. And I wanted to share the work that's involved in that, but also to try and, I didn't want to make it sound like, oh, it's, it, you know, oh God, it's like 30 years of hard work and then you get some harvest. It's, you know, it was, my life has been a, a great joy and it's been very difficult at times. Uh, and I think that's just how it is. And um, so I wanted to um, invite people to be more accepting of their own challenges through sharing mine and to, to just through my own story, help people to know theirs. Because I, one of the things I've really learned in writing and in sharing stories is that if I tell you an honest story, really from my heart, it will help you to know your story better. It doesn't matter if you agree with me or not. That's not the point. You know, so we agree, we disagree, we're, we're different. Some like pink, some like blue, it doesn't matter. But, but a good, honest story will help us to know ourselves better. And you know, when you say you read yourself in the pages of my book that really makes my heart smile because there's so much of what i wanted is that people can see themselves a little bit through you know my humanity i'm just a you know a little bald guy who lives in devon who had this crazy life and um here i am telling you about it so that you can um know a little bit more about your own <laughs> and, we can, and we can laugh about it because it's it's good it's good to perceive life as a joke also. <laughs> it's yes, it and it's highs and it's lows and it's uh, controversial situations and uh, yeah yeah it's uh, yeah very it's, really beautiful. it's very beautiful. To be honest, you. You, are, you are one of the few writers that I, I read books. I love reading books, mm. and um, you're one of the few writers that I really 
saw and felt my myself inside the pages of your book. The other one mm. is Paulo Coelho, which is ah. one of my personal favorites. True yes. magician in yes. every sense and every way. Yes. And he transformed my life every time I have been reading his books. I was living the book at that moment and I was shocked. I'm like, what kind of <laughs> power is this? What kind of situation is this? Uh, and and you mentioned power. Yeah. 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 He's, uh, yeah. Um, so since we're talking about books, you have another book cooked already and it's about to be served, uh, in, in some time for now. Tell, tell us, <clears throat> tell us about this book also. Well, um, <clears throat> the, my, uh, friends at Hay House asked me to write, um, this book called Shaman. Apparently there's lots of books about shamanism, but not one called Shaman, which was kind of astonishing. Okay, and uh, yeah. it is. And I, I was very, I, I didn't say yes immediately. I went and I prayed and I drummed and I went into ceremony and I asked my own guidance, um, can I do this? Is this a good thing to do? Because, um, I want again to tell a story about shamanism that is relevant to where we are today. And so I felt it as quite a responsibility. And, um, you know, as I told you before, when I write, I drum first and I try to make myself um, a channel for the spirit of this book. And then, I do that one day, so I, I drum, I get into a particular state, I know what the subject is. In my drumming, I'm traveling into the landscape of that chapter so that I can see it like a journey. And then I let myself write that journey. And then the next day I would edit and um, to see if it makes sense and to to also just, you know, crafted a little. And um, it's a very, it was a very powerful process for me because I find that whatever I'm writing about, I'm going through and I'm challenged with it. You know, if I'm writing about, so this particular book is a journey through what we call the five dimensions of relationship. The first dimension is relationship with ourselves. And um, the second dimension is our one-to-one -one relationships. The third dimension is our relationships with the group, with community, with the biosphere, with, with the web of life. The fourth dimension is with the imaginal world, um, the non-physical world, the world of imagination, of dream, of the spirits, of, of which is really the, the home or the essence of shamanism. And... The fifth dimension is our relationship with the divine, with the source. And so I've asked the question, how can, number one, who is the inner shaman? Like, how can this universal archetype of shaman help you as a human being in your journey through these five dimensions of relationship? And which is, it's different than becoming a shaman for other people that's a whole other thing 
but how can you use and work with and get to know the inner shaman in a useful way? And so I've also, there's a lot of rituals in the book. There's a lot of um, practices that are rooted in movement medicine so that people can then start to work themselves with this material. And there'll also be an audio um, with the book, which will be me leading some of those rituals so that you can practice and be guided and learn to get a little bit more comfortable and find your way with working with uh, ritual in a very simple way. It's very grounded, it's very step-by-step, step, and, and it creates a structure in which your freedom can express itself and be discovered. So it's been an enormous journey for me um, to write this. And um, I'm just about to send my final edit to the publisher. And then over the next uh, three months, it will be edited by a professional editor and then uh, it will be ready in October. And I'm, I'm, I'm really happy to have been given this opportunity to make my contribution to the rebirth of shamanism in our culture in a useful way. I think it's so important because, as, as we said in the beginning, shamanism as a word and as a concept and as a practice has been so much misinterpreted. And uh, to put it on a practical, not only shamanism, but I believe anything related to the unseen world or any practice or even any religion, mm -hmm. uh, any ceremony, to put it down into practical day-to-day, step-by-step, how does it work? What does it really do? on a practical third dimensional level through, a, through a, a one's experience that has been into the field. Uh, mm -hmm. That's the greatest gift to humanity. Yeah. And, yeah. and I realized that spirituality as a concept and as a practice in general uh, tends to lose a lot of public, let's say, or interest. And it's such a fundamental part of our life because of the way it has been introduced to people. It doesn't, yeah. uh, doesn't include the practical step-by-step, day-to-day, third-dimension way to use it. Yeah. And it's such a gift to know how to do this. Absolutely. It's, it's in a way, it's just being it's the kind of thing that should be taught in schools um, because it, we're basically learning about our own resource, our own resources. We're learning about... Um, our relationship to the natural world. We're learning about who we are. We're learning about um, how to be resilient in the face of the inevitable challenges of life. And this is, so, you know, I, I, uh, I'm, I'm delighted to hear you say this. I think it's so important, as you say, that we, we find the way of speaking in everyday language about um, about this magnificent mystery mm. that we that we are that we are exactly this exactly this now Yaakov I want to ask you a last question and then we wrap it up you mm. mentioned and I have mentioned and it's here already drumming as part of your 
of 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 your ritual, and it's uh, very much rooted also uh, on on the movement medicine. Uh, you use a lot of drums. Tell me about the drum. Tell me about the instrument. Tell me about the sound. Tell me what it does. So let's 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 put into practice what we said before. Let's let's give the practical information yeah. of such a powerful, strong tool that yeah. works in so many levels. Well, thank you. I, I, I'm I'm really pleased you asked this question because it gives me a chance to introduce um, the people listening to um, a man called Bikomat Penta, who was a Sami shaman who I write about in that book. And he was the man who really taught me about the shaman's drum. And I'd had a drum for 20 years um, by the time I met him. Um, but um, when, I, when I was with him, I actually, there was, there's two little stories which will illustrate the power of the drum. The first time I was in Norway next to a fjord, a deep lake, and myself and a friend, we were going out on a boat to a little island to drum because this island was, um, it had a special quality, we'd been told. So we were going there to, with the drum to, to get ourselves into a state of listening because the, the repetitive beat of the drum, um, and now we've, we have the science to back this up, the repetitive beat of the drum literally puts our brain into delta waves. So we, after a seven minutes um, of listening to a drum, we, we're in a more relaxed and a more open state, both emotionally, physically, and mentally. Um, anyway, Bikomat came to the beach. We had the boat there and the drums, and he said, oh, um, can, I, can I play your drum? I said, please, I'm honored, please feel free. So he picked up my drum and then he looked around and he listened. He listened for about 10 minutes and I was sitting there kind of going, what's he doing, what's he doing? And then he played one note on the drum, boom. Then silence and he looked and he listened and this went on for about four hours. One beat, 10 minutes of silence, listening, another beat. I was like this, you know, I, I know this guy's a Sami shaman, but maybe he's crazy, what's going on? After four hours, um, he came to me, he said, okay, this, um, this is your drum. When you, when you play the skin here, um, you're connecting to this kind of spirit. When you play the skin here, you shouldn't do that um, after it's dark unless you're willing to drum all night until dawn. And I was like, hold on a minute, how do you know this? And he looked at me like I was crazy. He said, I'm listening. I'm listening. And so, you know, like most people, um, maybe who are not musicians, because musicians have a, already have a way of listening, you know, when I played the drum, I was not paying that kind of attention. Mm. I was making noise. Mm. I was making noise, and yes, I was changing my state, but I wasn't really listening. The second time, which was several years later, he made a drum for me, and um, like a traditional Sami drum, 
which was a, the closest I'll ever get in my life to a PhD. Having this man on <laughs> a drum was like probably the deepest honor I, I could ever imagine in my education. Anyway, I went to his house in the Arctic Circle to, for the initiation ceremony to receive this drum. He gave me the drum, he had his drum, and we were playing together, we were kind of drumming away and chanting like, and then going deep into this kind of meditation. And then I'm kind of dropping into this trance and then he's, he stopped in the middle of the drumming. And he said, Yakov. I was like, what, what, what? Um, he said, what's this drum made from, Yakov? And I, I was really like, uh, it's made from a birch tree and it's made from the skin of a reindeer. And he said, mm, yes. What does it mean to you that this reindeer died um, for your drum? And I, I was really surprised by the question. And I was, I thought for ages and I said, you know, I'm not really sure. I don't really know. And he said, yes, it sounds like that from the way you're playing this drum. You have to go and hunt. You have to go and kill a deer. You have to go and um, kill a deer and take it to pieces, butcher it, eat it, and make a drum from its skin. Because only when you do that will you know what it means to play this drum. And, you know, I was a vegan at the time. I was, you know, <laughs> hey, hold on a minute. You never said when you were making me a drum that you're going to tell me I've got to go and hunt. <clears throat> And he was like, that's how it is. Take this it is or leave it. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I went and I found a, a really good man. And I went hunting and I killed a deer and it broke my heart just as it should. And I skinned this deer and I butchered this deer and I brought the meat home and we ate this deer, my family and I. And we made soup from its bones and I made a drum from its skin. And uh, it, actually, a, a, a very good friend helped me with this. And um, it really taught me the, like, what that is, that you're playing the skin of an animal and just what a process that is, how much work and living and dying is involved in creating this instrument, which is a tool um, that's been a tool of shamans forever. And so that listening and then what this is really gave me more respect for the power of, you know, if you hit that skin, if you play that drum, um, what are you speaking to? What are you listening to? What um, traditions? Are you connecting to? What, what do you need to give back um, in order to receive the gift of this drum? Um, how can you be in good relationship? And, and then to really, to play your drum by yourself for quite a long time, before you play it with other people. Like play it in different situations go out into nature, play it by the river. 
Play it on top of a hill. Play it in a valley. Play it in front of a fire. Play it in wind. Play it in a, a you know, a, a, a really quiet, like a cave, a held place. Discover the effect that your drum has on you. And when you play in nature, how nature listens and sings its song with you and how you can sing your song with nature. So the drum, in a way, it's a bridge between the human heart and the heart of nature or the imaginal world, the unseen world. It's, it's a, a resonance for our heart to, to take our heart out into connection with what's around us and then to receive again. So to be in conversation with um, the bigger picture of life, with, with um, what we are connected to, with our ancestors. The drum opens a channel through which we can listen more deeply, especially if we're very present in the body. And, you know, when we do shamanic journeys with the drum, we always do it standing up stand up and move. So when I'm playing my drum, you're standing up and you're moving. Feel your roots, feel your backbone, feel your shoulders, stay with the body and let the mind open like um, the branches of the tree of life to receive a bigger picture. Um, that's a wonderful thing. And it's a very, very powerful thing to, to do um, together. And when, once you've learned a little bit more the language of your own drum, then, you know, play with others and um, learn how your drum is a voice in a choir of drums. Very often when um, people who are not indigenous play drums together, it's a bit like um, a competition for whose drum is the biggest or the loudest or the... <laughs> <laughs> I, call it, I call it stampede, you know, when hundred yeah, horses yeah. are running together, it's like... <laughs> and we just get faster and faster and faster. And <laughs> yeah. A very good description, stampede, yeah. No. Like to learn to just... When we drum with our apprentices, mm. we, drum, we drum really slowly. And we, we're very clear, like, no, no. Somebody starts speeding up, somebody will just go and tell them, just relax, sit back. Go into your backbone. Don't, don't run ahead. Sit back. Sit back. Listen. Be held. And then from here, expand. Expand. That's what the drum gives us. It's, it's a very powerful and very simple tool. And everyone that has a heart can learn to work with the drum in a good way. And it's, it's uh, you know, it's very different than playing the guitar where you have to, you know, you have to learn very slow over years, mm. like all these kind of <laughs> movements and, yeah. you know, or playing the piano where you, it's much more simple, but in a way it's its simplicity, which is its complexity. Like just... <laughs> 
dun, 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 dun. just that and then where you put an emphasis and how you how you start to hear the melody of the rhythm um it's very powerful and um you know i really i though i've told stories about the power of the drum and how a traditional shaman you know gave me a bit of a wake up mm-hmm. i also really want to encourage people to to learn to work with a drum because it's a simple it's something that we can all do even just two sticks mm. we can all make that rhythm mm. and learn to in a way it's not learn it's more like remember remember what what that repetitive rhythm gives us mm. yeah we'll do that together okay We'll that <laughs> now that you were saying this, I, I had it on your mind exactly, I, on my mind exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Perfect. Right. We'll do it. <laughs> Yakov, before we wrap it up, what keeps you in balance every day? What is your daily habit? What is your daily routine? What keeps you in harmony? Well, that's, it's, a, it's a very beautiful question because I've always had a practice. Um, for the last 35 years, I've had a practice of some description that I do every day or at least five days a week. Um, and at the moment, um, I'm really grateful to our son because he's, um, he's bringing things to our family now. And so we start every day now at 6.30 in the morning drinking tea together. Um, not English tea, but um, actually Chinese tea, like a, a very simple tea ceremony. Mm. And I love it because um, our friends, the Achua and the Zappa and the Amazon, they start the day in the dark with tea also. Mm. And they share their dreams. So we share sometimes our dreams or how we are as a family. And then we do, um, at the moment, <laughs> <laughs> We're doing um, the Wim Hof breathing method. Wim Hof is a, a, a guy called the Iceman. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a Dutch guy who um, discovered a lot of um, healing through relationship with the cold. With the cold, yes. And, um, amazing man. Mm. Very simple guy. I, I like him a lot. He has no airs and graces. He's just like, Listen, guys, if you want to do this, you can. And it's very simple, very practical. Mm-hmm. So we do this breathing method of breathing very strong and then holding the breath. And, and then we go and get into cold water. Mm. And we sit in cold water for two minutes, like really cold water. Mm. We have a little lake just down the hill. And we sit in the cold water and we meditate just quietly. And it stills us. It makes us very still. Mm-hmm. And then we enjoy the nature and, you know, I'll do some movement work then to warm up again. <laughs> yeah, it's necessary. <laughs> I'm sure. And um, so I, this is my practice at the moment, which our son brought to us a few weeks ago. And I do Qigong. I, I think the main, if I really, if I'm really honest, the main, the most important practice for me is the time 
that um, I have with my, with my wife. When we are quiet together and we listen to each other and we have time that's just for us. That's the oasis that gives me the strength to make my offering in the world. Right. To be perfectly honest, and I don't exaggerate, without that uh, relationship, that strength, that the relationship we've worked for a long time to understand one another and to break through the kind of battle of the sexes, to, to oh. break through to a deeper understanding uh, where we really can uphold each other. And her trust in me, her loving of me, her support of me, and of course, mine of her, but that's her story. Um, it's that which gives me the strength to do my work in the world. It keeps the fire burning, as I call it. Absolutely. <laughs> I love this. I love this quote. Keep the fire burning. <laughs> That's it. My, uh, well, I once asked uh, an Achua shaman, hey, Raphael, you know, you're an elder. You live here in the forest. What message do you want me to deliver to my people? And he said exactly that. Keep the fire burning. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> We're on the right track. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so I guess that's our message. Our conclusion. Keep the fire burning. Keep the life moving. Keep yes. the drum drumming. Keep the Keep voice. Keep the music playing. Keep the music playing. Yakov, it was a pure pleasure to have this conversation with you. And likewise with you, Demetrius. Thank you so much. And really, um, to anyone who's listening to this, really wishing you well in your life and that you find that balance of safety and um, support and facing the challenges of life with strength. You find the resources that you need to be who you are and give what you've got in this life. And thank you. I wish you well. Thank you so much. Let's have more movement and more music into our lives and more flow. Good idea. <laughs> Blessings. Thank you so much. Thank you.